I recently read an article that started like this. Sometimes all it takes is one sentence. Life was normal one moment, the next moment irrevocably changed. Maybe it's an earth-shattering epiphany or a paradigm-shifting phrase. Something that completely upends your life. More likely, it's just a fact. A new revelation about something you thought you knew your entire life. Well, this passage has been really good for me to think about this last few weeks. It is, uh, it's a tough passage, but it is such a good passage to think about. Here's why. I have been reminded that what I do in this short little life is going to affect my long life, my eternal life with Jesus. And that is a really good thing to think on. And um, so I'm, I'm just going to jump right in for us. And if you have your Bible, Luke 19, verse 11. So this is a parable of the 10 minus. And the first verse says, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So while they were listening to this, what were they listening to? Well, they were listening to a conversation that Jesus was having with Zacchaeus. Now, most of y'all know the story of Zacchaeus, right? He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, right? He climbed up in a sycamore tree. The Lord he wanted to see. When Jesus passed on by, he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today, right? So that's, that's verses one through seven in chapter 19 is the story of Zacchaeus and verses eight through 10 give us a really good picture of what's going on in this conversation. So Zacchaeus has this upending experience with Jesus. He has this life-changing conversation and we know it's life-changing because Zacchaeus was a tax collector which a tax collector, he was a Jewish tax collector, so he worked for the Roman government. Basically, he said, I'll be a traitor on my people to collect taxes. And really, his whole life was about money, right? And we read in verse, 10, verse 8 of chapter 19, when Zac- Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, look, Lord, here, now, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Now that would have raised some eyebrows. This guy is going to give half of his possession to the poor? This greedy, greedy man is, a, is, is turned into someone generous? <laughs> and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. That doesn't even make sense. The whole crowd would go, that doesn't make sense. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. A lot of commentators say that verse, Luke 19.10, is the key verse in the whole book of Luke. So this is kind of the hinge. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. Now, What I want y'all to just think about with regard to the Zacchaeus story that we're listening to, everyone was listening to, is Jesus going to tell his parable, is that there's an internal condition, there's an internal heart change 
that is reflected in external action. And so Zacchaeus has this life-altering conversation with Jesus and it's reflected in how he lived, right? So going on, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Now y'all probably remember a parable is a simple story that uses familiar imagery to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson. So it starts with the familiar and then it drives to the unfamiliar. Last week, it was the parable of the lost boys, right? So people understood the father-son relationship. They understood that a father would, would be undignified to run after the son, but he didn't care, right? They understood there's all this cultural understanding that drives to a new understanding. And so we're going to see Jesus do that. Why did Jesus tell this parable? Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. 19.1 gives us a picture of where Jesus is. He's in Jericho. And Jericho is about 17 miles from Jerusalem. So the people go, if this is the king, if this is the Messiah, and he's getting close to Jerusalem, the kingdom is going to come at once. And he's going to restore everything. He's going to overthrow the Roman government. He's going to give Israel economic, political, um, military power like we have never seen before. And so that's what they think. And Jesus said, let me tell you all a story. And, And Jesus is going to use exactly what he just saw, people just saw Zacchaeus doing. Zacchaeus is dealing with money, right? He's probably, he might be handing out money as they were, as Jesus is going to tell this story. So he's going to tell a story about a king and he's going to tell a story about money and he's going to bring it all together that only the master teacher can do in a way that only he can do. So verse 12, here's the story and he gives it away. He actually, he actually answers the question in verse 12. Is the kingdom of God going to appear at once? Jesus answers that question right off the bat. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. Was Jesus a man of noble birth? Was he from the line of David? Yes, he was. He was a man of noble birth. And he says, this man of noble birth goes to a distant country to have himself appointed as king. Jesus is about to go to a distant country and to come back as king. Was he, in, in his first coming here, was he the king? Did he, did he present himself as a ruling king? He did not. He was a suffering servant in his first visit here to earth. He will come back as a ruling king. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. So Jesus is going to teach us some stuff about the kingdom. And it's, it's, going, to, it's going to expand his audiences. He's going to blow their mind, really. He's going to talk about um, not so much the kingdom, but more what his servants are to be like in the meantime. As this noble man goes away, what his servants are to be like in the meantime. So he's going to give a request in verse 12. He's going to tell his servants, he's going to give them 10 minas, one each. 
and your, your Bible probably has a footnote, a mina is worth about three months wages. Let's call that $10,000. So he's going to give him $10,000 and say, invest this while I'm away, right? And he gives this to his servants. Now, if you are looking for where you fit in this story, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are willingly submitted to him, this is where you find yourself. You are a servant. The word is doulos. It means bond servant. Paul calls himself a doulos a number of times in the New Testament. He says, I, uh, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ to the believers in Colossae or Corinth. Um, and Paul just says, I've given myself to Jesus. I willingly follow him. So it's not a a coerced servant. It's one that says, I will, I will follow this master willingly, right? So he says to that servant, put this, put this money to work to these 10 servants, gives them one mine each and says, put this money to work until I come back. Now, a lot of y'all have probably experienced this. A lot of y'all, not with a king, but probably with your boss, right? Or maybe you have been that boss that said, hey, I'm going to go away for, I got a, I got a trip for a week or two weeks or three weeks or a month. Here is your instructions. You represent me to our company. You represent me to our clients. Here's what I expect and um, go about, do my business while I'm out, right? Pretty, pretty normal thing for us to experience uh, in today's time. Well, um, in verse 15, the king, he was made king, however, and he returned home. So just like he said, he has come, he's come back, right? And he asks these servants, um, in verse 15, he says, then he sent for his servants to whom he had given money in order to find out what they had gained with it. So there's accountability, pretty normal thing for a king to do. Well, here's, here's the responses of the first two servants. Verse 16. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, the master replied, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. So this tells us a few things uh, about the servants and about the king. The first is uh, about the servants. Implied in this story, they had to do something with their time, right? When the king was away, they had to do something. They spent their time while the king was away on the king's business. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made a return. So they were about the king's business. And they lived in light of his return. They said, he is going to come back. And so I'm not going to get distracted by all the other things coming at me. I'm going to stay and do the king's business. Second thing we notice is that the king is generous. So because they invested $10,000, three months wages well, put in charge of 10 cities, five cities, the return is extraordinary. So this king is obviously really pleased to be generous, right? So faithfulness to invest what the king gives is rewarded. Verse 
20. The third servant. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you were a hard man. You take out what you did not sow, or take out what you did not put in, and reap what you did not sow. So this servant is different than the first two for a, on a number of accounts. The first one, he, just, he wasn't obedient. He didn't do what the, what the king had asked him to do. He didn't invest. The second thing is that uh, he, we know that he did something with his time, but it wasn't the king's business, right? He just did presumably what he wanted to do. He just uh, put the mina, wrapped it up, and put it away. And um, the third thing, thing is he either has a skewed image of the king or he's making an excuse. Either he really believes that the king is a hard man, but that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. If, if you had a boss that is a hard person, can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine saying, hey, I know your instructions are really important to you. So what I did is I laminated them. I laminated the instructions because I knew how much they meant to you. In fact, I put your instructions in a safe. No one knows the combo. Your boss would laugh, right? And be like, you're kidding, right? But uh, if you went on and were serious, that laughter would turn to anger real quick, right? Like you really didn't do anything while I was out. You did nothing. Um, And we will see the king's response to this third servant. Verse 24. Then the king said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. That's what any boss would do, isn't it? I mean, if, if you have a couple people that you're, that you're leading and you've given them both the same responsibility, one does nothing, one does a great job, you'd say, take that one's responsibility and give it to that one. This is, it's just obvious, right? That would be an obvious response. And then, but to those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. The king is not playing. This is not a a soft and fluffy ending to the story. He offers strong accountability to the person, to his servants, and then to his enemies, he judges them with death. So what do we make with this story? This thing's intense. Um, It answers the question, is the kingdom coming at once? And Jesus answers that question and says, no, the kingdom is delayed. But in the meantime, I expect my servants to invest faithfully. And I'll reward them accordingly. That's the story. It's it's a very simple story. And uh, it's challenging though, isn't it? Uh, Three phrases I would offer are a good summary here. Until I come back, put this money to work, and well done, good servant. So God's kingdom on earth is delayed. Jesus expects his servants, us, to faithfully invest while he's away. And Jesus rewards on 
faithfulness. Uh, Jesus rewards based on faithfulness to invest his gifts. This brings up a question. And I actually asked my family this question um, a couple weeks ago at dinner. I said, will Christians be evaluated or held accountable or judged when Jesus comes back? Raise your hand if you, I'm not asking y'all, I told my kids this. Raise your hand if you think Christians will be, that we will get different rewards. I have one child that just wants to do what none of the others want to do. So I had one child raise their hand. I don't think they believed it. I just think they just wanted to be the naysayer. I believe that. I believe we get different uh, rewards. And I said, interesting. So my, my family did not, did not believe this. Um, I will tell you that this story strongly implies it and a, cle- a, a key interpretive thing that all of us have to do when we, as we're students of the Bible is interpret the unclear, the obscure, in light of the clear. And so we'll want to look at some passages and say, all right, is, is that true? Uh, this story seems to imply it, but is that really true? Now, uh, and we'll do that in one second. I know most of us, we want last week's story, don't we? We want, we want the parable of the prodigal son who runs into the father's arms, unconditional love, grace. We just, we love that. We want that. We do not want the parable of the ten minus. We don't love the accountability. And so I, I think why the answer to this question is so difficult is because we confuse freedom from condemnation with freedom from accountability. And so as we think about salvation, we go, oh man, no, it's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's only through grace. It's only through repentance and receiving what God's given us. Jesus says that over and over. Just come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. We, we want that. But he also says, hey, there's some accountability. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. And so we, we need to, to realize that freedom from condemnation is not the same as freedom from accountability. Let's look at some passages. I'm just going to kind of go through the highlighted um, areas. 2 Corinthians 5.10 uh, says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us must receive what is due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. This passage is to believers. This is written to the believers in Corinth. Romans 14, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. 1 Corinthians 3, Fire will test the quality of each person's work. If, it's, if what has been built survives, then the builder will receive a reward. 1 Corinthians 4. Those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. It is the Lord who judges me. He will bring to light the motives of the heart. So pretty clear teachings 
explicit, right? So what is obscure in the passage seems to imply these, pa- these passages, Paul just says over and over, this is what's going to happen. When we stand before Jesus, he is going to ask us to give an account of our lives. I don't know exactly what this face-to-face meeting will be like with Jesus. I can't tell you for sure. Um, and I don't know what the rewards will be like. But this is what I do know. I do know we are expected to invest the investment that Christ has made in us. So you and I have been bought with a price. And so this life is not our own. We are, if, if we follow Jesus, we're now his servants, his bond servants. And we should ask, well, how do we do that? What does that look like? Put some, put some uh, meat on the bones here. Well, I'll go back to those three phrases. The first one, until I come back, until I come back, remember his return. Now, this is really hard for us, really, really hard for us. If we lived in a different part of the world right now, we would beg for this truth. We would say, yeah, this is what I'm living for. But we live in the best time in history, in unbelievable area of the country, in a wonderful free country. And so to think about Jesus's return almost feels like a little bit of a letdown. Kind of like, but I really like this life. I'm very comfortable. I'm very happy. This is awesome. Why would I think about his return? That sounds like a womp womp. His return is going, to be, is going to put all this to shame. But it's very, very, very difficult to, to remind ourselves of this. Honestly, the only way I can think, that, the only thing that I can think to do is to saturate in Scripture. You know, the, the passage um, that I think the Edwards read for their daughter was Romans 12, 2. And it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So don't be put into the mold of this world, but be transformed, be changed, be different by the renewing of your mind. And that's the only thing I can think of in y'all's community groups. Y'all can talk about that. That'd be a good question to ask at community group tonight or whenever you meet. Uh, How do you think about the Lord's return? what, What do you do to remind yourself of the Lord's return. Um, kind of to summarize that Romans 12, 2 passage, we will either be conformed by default, we will naturally be kind of conformed to this culture by just doing nothing, or we will be transformed through discipline. So I think that saturating scripture is the only one that I can think of. It's been so good. I've thought about Jesus' return more in the last three weeks than I ever have because I've been thinking about this passage. And so saturate in God's word. The second phrase is put this money to work. Be about the Lord's business. When I stand before Jesus, I believe he's going to ask me these questions. I believe he's going to say, Abel, what did you do with me? You had me, you, had, you put your faith in me, you have the gospel, what did you do with me? Did you wrap me up in a napkin and put me away? Or did you share me with others? Did you give me away? Did you uh, glorify me? What did you do with me? I believe he's going to ask me, what did you do with the time that I gave you? 
Did you invest it? Did you invest it in eternal things? Or did you invest it in meaningless things? We don't waste time. None of us waste time. We invest it in what's important to us. And so are we, am I investing the time that God's given me? What did you do with the relationships I gave you? And I think probably those, those primary relationships that I, the roles that only I can fulfill, what did you do with your relationship with Sarah? What did you do with your kids? What did you do with your friends? What you, did, you, did you do with the relationships that God has given you? Did you invest in them and invest me in them? What did you do with the money I gave you? Did you, did you burn it on yourself? Or did you invest it in things that will last for eternity? And this one is, is trippy to us. The whole money thing is an odd thing. Uh, I have, my dad has a friend that is, uh, he's close to dying. And, and uh, he's in, he has cancer and he's, you know, he's, he's close to dying. So dad said, what are you doing with the time? And he said, I'm trying to lay up treasure in heaven. I'm investing all I can. I'm, I'm investing my money and my time, everything, because he knows it's short. And somehow we live under the illusion that, that life is not short and it's going to live on forever. And lastly, what did you do with the abilities that I gave you? Did you use them for your glory or you, did you glorify me? Now, uh, I hope that some of y'all would be excited. I hope that some of y'all would go, man, I'm excited. I, my life doesn't make a whole lot of sense here on this earth. I'm really excited for the next. I really, I, I want to see Jesus. I want to have him share with me, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. I would hope for some of us, we might have a little knot in our throat. We might go, man, I haven't invested well. And uh, I would tell you the best time to plant a tree was 30 years ago. Second best time is today. I would, I would start today and just invest in things that matter. Spend your life on eternal things. And, um, you know, our, our, our culture doesn't enforce, doesn't reinforce this. Our culture has these phrases like, oh, best life. You know, oh, they're living their best life. Now, they're not talking about they're living their best life. Oh, self-denial. They are really denying themselves. They are really investing. They're living their best life. They're talking about they're, they're having fun. Life's a playground. They're just having a blast and soaking up as much experience as they can on earth. YOLO, right? You only live once. FOMO, fear of missing out. You want to just do everything here. But it doesn't reinforce this eternal mindset and perspective. And Jesus is not a cosmic killjoy. He doesn't want us to just walk around with this heavy, oh man, you know, I'm so generous. Golly, I'm sick of being generous. He's not, he, he, he gives us this because he knows how he created us. He knows what will satisfy us. He knows that, that these things will be joyful um, when we invest our lives our time, our money, our relationships, abilities, when we share Jesus with others. Last, last phrase is, well done, good servant. 
And won't it be wonderful? Don't you want to live for that? This is the, the, the father in last week's story. This is what he longs to tell us. He wants to tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. He wants to give us generously. He wants that for us. And so um, not out of fear, not out of guilt, but out of gratitude, we can live our life for him. I'll finish with this Jim Elliott quote. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The way we live reveals what we believe about the king, his return, and his reward. Let's live for the king, not ourselves, and receive his reward.